Thank you for downloading Transformer, the podcast that explodes the myths about women and engineering. So that, that's constant, the red circle is constant. Okay, and you just, you, what do I do? I, you just, I, it would have been lost that one. close to the face of it should be about actually six inches away yeah okay and then hello i'm hester abrams when we started this podcast we said we wanted to explore what engineers actually do one woman engineer i kept coming across now has almost a second career in making the work of engineers visible i asked her if there was something in particular she'd like to show us and she suggested london sewers So for this episode, we've been exploring the entirely unseen and somewhat unmentionable flow of waste under the city. This gave me the opportunity to record some interviews on my own for the first time, as you may have gathered from our intro. I got to meet two quietly impressive women. The first is a structural engineer whose credits in a quite young career already include designing part of London's tallest building, the Shard. We met in a cafe near St Paul's Cathedral. My name is Roma Agrawal. I'm a structural engineer. I spent the first 10 years of my career working at WSP Parsons Brinkerhof, which is where I designed the Shard, and I now work at Interserve. Tell us about the Shard. So working on the Shard was absolutely brilliant. I spent about six years of my career working on that, so I was one of the team of structural engineers that designed the building. And there were, I guess, three main bits that I worked on. I worked on what we call the enabling works, the foundations and then finally I worked on the very top portion of the building which is all made of steel it's where the viewing gallery is and I think that's probably my favorite bit because structural engineers design all this wonderful steel and concrete and most of it gets hidden away but actually the top of the shard you can see every piece of steel every nut and bolt and all the visitors that come in to look at the wonderful views of London can also appreciate the views of the steel which is you know my favorite thing to do up there. And from the top of the Shard, did you ever look down at the muddy brown water and wonder what on earth that was all about? Yes, so you can see the River Thames for miles from the top of the building and it is very, very brown. And people always said to me, oh, it's because it's silty, uh, it's a tidal river, so the level of the river varies up and down by a number of metres almost every day. But there's more to the story than that. It's not only brown because of silt, it's also all the waste of London goes down some sewers, but if it starts to rain and if those sewers get too full, basically it overflows into the Thames, which is quite shocking when I found that out because that's not what I expected happened in the middle of central London. Roma Agrawal is also an author. Her first book, Building Stories, will be published next year and explains how all sorts of structures around us work. She's been exploring the life of one Victorian engineer, Joseph Bazalgett. I asked her to tell me more about him and why he's so much of a hero to her. Joseph Bazalgett was one of the great Victorian engineers. He was described as being quite short, but he had this apparently this prominent personality which you know, if you met him, you'd get this impression that he was someone important. And he definitely was a very important personality for London. So London was this amazing city. It had been here since the time of the Romans. And at that time, there were all these wonderful tributaries of 
tributaries or rivers that flowed into the Thames. And what basically happened is as the population of London started to increase, people just started throwing their waste into these tributaries and the river, at the same time as also getting their drinking water from it. So by the mid-13th century, it was a bit of a disaster because people were even throwing corpses and bodies of animals and all sorts into the river whilst they were still dependent on the river for their drinking water. Things got to a pitch, didn't they? And we need to come back to Joseph Bazalgette. What happened in 1858? So 1858 was a bit of a crunch point. It was a very, very hot summer. It was particularly warm. And apart from the river, as I've just described it, another problem that London had was the cesspits. Now, the idea was that nightmen, as they were called, would clear those out overnight, but it was expensive. And so these cesspits, and there were 200,000 of them around the city, basically just lay full and they were festering and stagnant. And it just became so bad, so pungent, that that year was given a special name, which was the Great Stink of 1858. So what was the brilliant idea that Joseph Bazalgette had that suddenly made those nasty vapours disappear? So he decided that all this waste needed to be put underground. So what he did now was to actually divert the courses of the rivers into man-made structures. So he made these kind of egg-shaped sewers, which were big enough for me to walk in, and I'm, I'm about five foot three, so you can imagine how big they are. And he then coursed the rivers through these man-made sewers, and he covered them up. And, you know, we really need to take a moment to think about the impact that the sewage system had on London. So we went from being a society where the city stank and you could die of cholera tomorrow in the tens of thousands to a city which you didn't even think about cholera anymore and it became a very civilised place to live. What was so revolutionary about Bazalgette's execution of that project? I think the thing that I really admire about this piece of engineering is how forward-thinking he was. So when he was designing his system, there were two million people in London, and he basically calculated a portion of waste per person in the city and the restaurants and the industries and so on, and he came up with the size of sewer. And then he thought, well, if we're going to do this properly, we should just do it once and get it right. And he doubled the size of the sewers that he designed. And as a result, he knew that his sewers would be big enough for when the population of the city had doubled to four million people. And that's really forward thinking. But there are over eight million people in London and we're still using his system. But his idea of future-proofing this piece of engineering to make London continue to be a viable city is absolutely inspiring. Before we parted company, I suggested to Roma that we walk west towards the Houses of Parliament as there was something she'd never seen, which I thought could be useful as research for her book. We're standing on the Victoria Embankment, just next to the Hungerford Bridge, and I'm really excited. I've never actually been here before, but in front of me is a bronze bust of Sir Joseph Bazalgette. And it's absolutely brilliant because at the top, there's a Latin inscription which says, Flumen vincula hosvit which means he put the river in chains. 
which I think is just such a wonderful description of, of his work that he did for London. That was structural engineer Roma Agrawal. It was fabulous to spend that time with her outdoors, looking twice at things we so often pass by. You can read what she's up to on her blog and Twitter feed at Roma the Engineer. And don't forget to tell us what you think of this Transformer podcast on our Twitter too, at Riveting Audio. So, is it really true that London is still using a sewer system built when Queen Victoria was on the throne? That's not no puns intended. What we know as the modern flushing lavatory was invented around the same time as these sewers. And Thomas Crapper, who called himself a sanitary engineer, got his first royal warrant for installing the plumbing at Sandringham House in Norfolk. Bazalgette's system has outlived even his most sober calculations. But London's population has grown so much, it has pushed his 132 kilometres of sewers beyond their limits. So who's carrying on his work? I packed my microphone and set off for Paddington Basin to find out. So we're looking at a map on our office wall, which shows the river as it runs through... I'm with Sean Thomas, a civil engineer and environmental manager at the offices of Thames Tideway, the company that is building a super-duper upgrade to Bazalgette's system that should be commissioned in 2023. ...at Acton, where Thames Water have some storm tanks which hold flow before it... Um, Sean told me just what this giant infrastructure project is making reality dozens of metres below our feet. It will be about 20 kilometres long and we'll have a number of construction shaft sites. So imagine kind of half a football pitch, a little bit less in diameter of, of a round um, shaft that we'll need to construct down underground so we need to construct those and then when we bring on a tunneling machine we'll put the tunneling machine into the shaft and then the tunneling machine kind of burrows its way underground and underneath the river so that's the kind of tunneling effort there's four main tunnel drives but there are a number of smaller tunnels so those machines kind of running to deliver the 20 kilometers of tunnel and then when they're all connected up together they'll also need to connect in the overflows that currently run into the river. The depths seem to be different from west to east. Is that because the tunnel is actually on a gradient? Yes. So it's a huge sewer. So in essence, we, we start at 30 metres in the west, um, and then the pumping station at Beckton is 70 metres deep. And because it's a sewer, and we want the flow to flow downhill and clean the sewer as we pump it out, it's on a gradient. It also runs as deep as that because we wanted it to go underneath all the other infrastructure in London. So imagine underground London is a, an amazing web of tube lines, railway lines, um, all kinds of other infrastructure. So our tunnel will go underneath everything. So will that be the deepest tunnel under, say, the east part of London? So the Lee Tunnel that Thames Water are just completing is actually the deepest tunnel and will connect into that tunnel at Stratford at a great part of Bazalgette's legacy for us at Abbey Mills Pumping Station. And the Thames looks really brown in this picture. Yes, the Thames is, is brown. The picture that we're looking at looks a little like the titles from EastEnders, <laughs> just to give you a picture of what it's, it's an aerial view. It's, a, it's an aerial view. It's a very expensive project, and the scheme has attracted quite a lot of debate, I mean, particularly sort of around a, a year ago, with people suggesting that this is a bit of a white elephant and really why is it necessary if the scheme at the moment kind of works. What happens at the moment is 
sewage mixed with rainwater discharges into the River Thames through central London almost once a week, on average, if, if you look at the, the frequency. Um, that's just not acceptable for a capital city such as London with the huge kind of economy and, and what have you. And, and the river is really the part of the heartbeat of, of London as a, as a city. The decision to go ahead with the tunnel came about from a number of years' worth of study to look at what was the answer to the problem about the discharges into the river. And the government made a decision in 2007 that it was the right route to go ahead and develop the scheme. As if the nitty-gritty of getting everyone to talk to each other and deliver on time weren't enough, Sean's involved in another pretty formidable task. Of course, the reason we've come is because we've, we're really talking to lots of women engineers and um, your chief executive Andy Mitchell has gone on record as saying that he wants there to be an equal number of women working in the construction side of this project as men. What do you think about that and how is it going? Andy's made some really bold statements about getting gender parity on the project which is really exciting and great. It's definitely a challenge on my degree course, I was one of 10 females on the degree course, and that's been a fairly consistent statistic through my career. Um, so we've got a lot of work to do to make sure it happens. On Tideway already, though, there are quite a number of females that are um, working on the project, and we took part in an event in June of 2015 where um, there was a massive high-five event to, um, to celebrate the number of women working in infrastructure in London. So being part of that was great. We've run a returners scheme to invite people in who've been out of the workplace for some time. A number of those return, all of the returners last year were female. We've got an encompass group which is looking at how we do things to make sure that we're diverse across the board and whether we can introduce initiatives to encourage more people um, from various diversities onto the project. So bold statements, lots of work to do, but Tideway is working really hard to make sure that we can, we can do as much as we can to meet the target. Apart from the sheer technical expertise, there's just been so much enthusiasm and dedication in what I've seen in this episode of Transformer. Roma and Sean have shown us London's hidden underbelly and demonstrated by their own amazing abilities just how much of a contribution women engineers are making to improving the way we live. Thank you for listening to Transformer. This episode was brought to you by Hester Abrams and Philippa Goodrich. We want to tell the stories engineers themselves aren't telling. So if you're a woman engineer, or maybe your friends or family are engineers, get in touch with us at Riveting Audio and our website, transformerpodcast.com. Mm-hmm.